Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Would you like to introduce our guest today? Yes. We have Jennifer Barnes of Optima Office. Thank you so much hey. for joining us. Welcome. Happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. Jessa, how do we know Jennifer? So I was actually, we were just talking about this, introduced to Jennifer about a year and a half ago, right when you, it's probably your, I think a month into uh, officially launching Optima Office and I was referred to you by a colleague who is like, you need to meet this woman. I think she'd be a great just kind of uh, mentor role model for you as a woman in business in San Diego and leadership. And so I said, all right. And I went and I met with Jennifer and you responded immediately, which was so kind and generous because you had a million things as always going on. So thanks for that. And uh, yeah, I showed up to your office. We talked for like an hour and I'm just like, oh. I get it. Like, there's some of those people you're like that magnet where you like attract people. And I'm like, you got to cling on to this one. (laughs) And then we, uh, Jessa took me as a guest. um, Well, at your invitation, we went to the Business Executives Council in San Diego and I loved it. It was like so good. And I know you're on the board of that. You're doing such good work. And I know you're also on the board of the Junior Achievements in San Diego. And we'll go into this stuff later, but. Um, I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that was that existed. And then when I looked into it, I was like, yeah, this is great. Everything that you're a part of is inspirational. And um, for those of you that don't know Jennifer, uh, go to OptimaOffice.com and look at her resume because it is extensive. And there's a lot of accolades and awards. Um out of all of those, just before we get started, which one do you think you were most um, proud of yourself for achieving? Was it 40 Under 40 or um, Young Entrepreneur of the Year or what are like your favorite ones? To stand out to me, I've always been such a people over profits. Just take care of your team, especially because they're who that's our product, right? Our our people are our product. So you have to make sure that your people are super happy. So getting best place to work almost every single year in a row for like the last four or five years, regardless of whether it's a Tribune or the business journal or a data bird just named us two years in a row as best place to work for women. For me, I'm so excited to just get best place to work, right? Because that means Not only do I think we're a great place to work, but my employees agree (laughs) that I've created a great place to work. So that's really cool. And then honestly, it was with my first company when we got the fifth fastest place, um, fastest growing company in all of San Diego County. And we had that video award ceremony where they literally put my company up on the big screen. They had it, they filmed and you have, you know, five to 700 people in the audience watching my company who I'm leading as the fifth fastest growing company. That was super cool. Um, with, with Optima, I really want to get that, but you have to do three full years in business. So I can't apply 
uh, we had all of 19, we'll have all of 2020, and then all of 2021, and so I can finally apply in 2022. <laughs> oh my God, I gotta start over again. <laughs> and we went to your, um, I think it was your one year anniversary party or your holiday party. It was over the holiday time region. Yeah, and yeah, one year. What hearing everybody say was Jennifer started her own business and grew to over, you know, a hundred employees in a year and people love her. And those were like the big takeaways that I got from me at your party is that everyone loves you. So it's no wonder that you get best place to work. It makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm excited for it to get over a hundred, but I got the first company to 88 employees in six years and we were doing around 7 million in revenue in that six year period when I, when I left, that's what kind of our run rate was. And then with Optimo, we currently have 62 employees oh. and we've been in business for a little over a year and a half. So I literally had to hire 40 people in 90 days. <laughs> yeah. I remember talking about that. I, I couldn't remember the numbers, but I remember it was like a significant growth and everyone was just, yeah, there was so much support there at that, at that event. And it was really cool. And thanks for the invitation. And so, I mean, can you give us a little bit of background about your career path and how you've gotten to where you're at with running Optima Office and founding it? Yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to give you the very short version because I've had such an interesting just 20 years of my life. Um, you know, I grew up in, in Las Vegas and ended up going to college at University of Arizona getting my finance degree in three years and then deciding I'm having too much fun in Arizona at U of A, I need to get a set another degree. What do I do? So I ended up staying in school for a year, getting a marketing degree. And when I graduated, I'm like, okay, no more desert. I'm moving straight to Southern California and I'm not turning back. So that was 19 years ago when I moved to San Diego and I started off as grunt work, being a staff accountant at Petco Corporation. And I literally was in charge of reconciling every single bank account that Petco had across all the stores. And you can just imagine all the transposing of numbers. I became a forensic, you know, puzzle nerd. Just, you know, you throw numbers at me and I'm like, calculator. <laughs> um, so I did that and then I fell into the mortgage industry and ended up helping to uh, bring a company from 12 people on fold-out picnic tables to about 200. And I was like the right-hand guy to uh, the CEO and ran finance, accounting, HR, you know, even help with IT. I just, I was, you know, doing all that. And so it really catapulted my career to being a controller at 26 years old. You know, that not many people are a, a solid controller at 26 years old. And I could say that I was a solid controller at 26 years old. And so I was fortunate enough when the market fell, when the, you know, the, the housing market crashed to join Tatum and Tatum is a, it used to be uh, more prevalent on the West coast, a CFO, fractional CFO firm, interim ongoing CFOs who 80% were men over 50. And here I am, you know, at the time, I believe I was like 26, 27 and I'm this, you know, young controller joining this group of a bunch of you know, super successful men that they're like, whose assistant are you? Are you in the marketing team? And I'm like, no, I have an MBA. I, I did end up getting my MBA from San Diego State about five years after I graduated uh, uh, University of Arizona. I'm like, I have an MBA. I'm sitting for my CPA exams. I have 
two undergrad degrees. I'm smart. I'm not just somebody's assistant, you know? Um, but anyway, and that's not to say that an assistant can't be smart, but you know, if there's certain perceptions about people, you know, when you might look a certain way that you, there's no way you could be a high level CFO or controller like us. Um, so anyway, that was a bit of a, you know, learning about perception and, and how to not care so much what people think. And you don't need that instant respect. You just have to earn it. You just have to speak intelligently and do the right thing and be smart and, and care. And, you know, it'll work itself out eventually. They'll, eventually they'll see that you're, you know, can be respected and be smart. But Anyway, I left Tatum to join uh, TGG in 2011, end of 2010, beginning of 2011, right before I was, um, just right after I turned 30, I believe is when I was a, a controller there. And then Matt, the CEO and I had a difference of opinion and certain things happened and he ended up firing me about two years in to me working there. And so he's, you know, so well, I'm just going to take my clients and start my own business then because I believe things should be this way and you believe they should be this way. So he actually kept his uh, end of the bargain and, and I really respect him for that. He never came after me. He let any client that wanted to come with me, come with me. And a bunch of employees ended up quitting and coming with me. So I kind of started off from uh, that firm into my living room in 2012. And in 2012, here I have a book of business and about a dozen clients. I had a ha handful of employees, and this was six weeks before my wedding. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm 33. I have no idea how to run a business. I mean, yes, I had the MBA, but I'm like, okay, well, I still need some additional support, like somebody that's been there, done that. So I ended up meeting my ex-partner, we'll just call him Mike. Um, we won't say his last name, but uh, met Mike and he had already had a business started pro back office for professional athletes, high wealth individuals doing their back office accounting. Well, because my business model and his made sense to kind of marry together, he ended up giving me the keys of the car saying, you run the business and let me know when you need my support. I'll step in. So he was a sounding board. He, he helped support me a bit over the years and, you know, all of 13 passed, 14 passed, 15 passed, you know, started passing. And here I am running the company by myself for the most part. I have 40 employees and we're doing, you know, about 3 million in revenue at the time. So that's where I'm like, okay, Mike, I really need you to step back in and like help me. Otherwise, 50 50 equity doesn't really make sense for me. I mean, that's started making me a bit resentful that here I'm putting in all the legwork and this guy owns half my company. Like, that's yeah. not cool. So, I ended up um, hiring Mike full time as my chief operating officer in 2016. Um, in that same couple year uh, time frame, we brought on another guy, Scott, and gave him 10% equity. That don't ever do that. Don't ever give up more than 51% of your own company because hence I don't work there anymore. Um, and I started it. So cautionary tale. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, fast forward, you know, all of 2016 was a huge learning curve of I'm no longer the one in charge of making every decision. Now I have two partners that I have to run every decision by. And hey, these partners are men 21 years older than I am 
who automatically think that they know more. They've been, been there around the block. They know more. I'm just, you know, good for business development. Uh, little did they know I did a lot more than business development, but, you know, I made, I made, a, uh, made it look easy, I guess. Wow. So 2017 rolls around. We're literally in business counseling, trying to figure out how do we work as a management team. We had to really dial in our buy-sell and operating agreement to work as partners. What's an authority matrix look like? Who's responsible for what? Who's in charge? You know, stay in your own lane. It became a kind of a, just a bad partnership. We just didn't even like each other. Yeah. The 10% guy and I, we could not have butted heads more. I mean, it was just awful. Um, I always thought he was just very condescending and mean and just, you know, just didn't really, super smart, but didn't work. And so in 2018, they kind of devised a plan to, to, to blame something on me that really wasn't cool. And uh, I literally walked out of uh, my office in September uh, 27th, 2018, thinking I was just going into a, into a meeting. And instead, they handed me my final check and said I no longer work there. And they had security escort me out of the building. They, you know, disconnected my email. They suspended my cell phone number that I'd had for 20 years since I'd moved to San Diego. Mm. Uh, basically took everything from me. I had no access to any information. I was like cut off of the limbs. I walked home that day, just in utter disbelief, thinking, I can't believe I just somehow put myself in a position that my company was stolen from me. Yeah. So it was super crazy. It was a just an eye-opening, maddening, frustrating, stressful situation, uh, to say the least. But that was on a Thursday. I started Optima on Sunday. Um, I was incorporated by Monday. <laughs> I had already hired a dozen employees uh, within a month and found an office space right across the street, 100 yards, throat, <laughs> stone throw, from their building, which is my business park. I live a mile away, so I'm not moving my business park because they decided they don't want me as a partner anymore. So moved in across the street, found an amazing office, hired 40 people in 90 days. I considered it just a rebrand. I didn't like that name anyway. So here I am, Optima, Optimistic, the Optimal Accounting Team. Um, <laughs> and now we here we are, it's uh, June, you know, we're. We're 20 months in, and we'll do at least $5 million in revenue this year, even with the pandemic. Got 60 amazing employees, super happy. I own 100%, and just do good work. Be kind. Be a good person, and you'll always see a silver lining somehow. So there's my 20 years in eight minutes. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah, it's I, you had shared that story and I'm sure you've shared it, you know, in other forms uh, a million times. So thank you for sharing it again. And when I first met you, this is one of the stories you shared. And I was just like, it, it was so inspirational. It's still very inspirational. And I think, you know, it's just, that's the differentiators I think in successful entrepreneurs is you get kicked down and you, you might stay down for like a little bit, but then you think, okay, how do I get back up? And what's my next move? You don't like dwell on it and ruminate and think like, woe is me. You're like, okay, this happened. Now I'm going to do that and I'm going to do it better. And I just love it. It's just such a, and especially as like a woman in business, I'm just like, yes, like get it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
It's, it's nice to see somebody go, I'm just going to be nice, be a kind person, do good work, enjoy myself, own my stuff, do my thing. That's like, yeah, we can all do that. <laughs> do, what, do what you want to do. Um, I, one of the questions we wanted to ask you was, okay, so you mentioned you're a sole owner, you own 100% of the company, you're a woman-owned business. Is your background and those cautionary tales the reason why you decided not to take on a partner, or what is the reason why that you're a solopreneur at the moment? Well, I have a pretty amazing management team. So I have a chief operating officer, Taylor, who has a ton of experience. You know, he's in his late 50s. He did an undergrad in economics at Princeton. He has an accounting accounting degree, um, master's in accounting from New York University, just worked on Wall Street, super smart guy. And I'm going to incentivize him to stay with me for 10 years. I want him to stay with me for 10 years. He's awesome. Um, but our time frames might be different. You know, I'm 40. I'll be 41 in a, a month and seven days. So I'm, you know, getting up there. But I want to run this for 20 years. So I, you, you want to make sure that you're aligning yourself with people that are kind of on your same time frame to a certain extent. And then my managing partner, Mike, also our CFO, also in his late 50s, super smart guy, he spent 20, uh, 20 years as a CPA, you know, worked for EY for many years, extraordinary background, very kind of kind hearted, warm guy, people like him. So I've picked some two guys that are just awesome. But give, does giving them 10% equity, is that going to even do much? Or can I give them profit sharing? Can I give them deferred compensation plans? Can I do things that, you know, really want to make them vested and give them, a, a, a you know, a vested share of the company without having to actually give away real equity? Then I have a director of HR who's got a ton of experience. She's great. I like her personality. You know, she's she's got a good, she's a good person and she really cares and she puts her whole heart into things. And so for her, you know, I want her on the team for a long time. It's more of a question is how do you incentivize people to be with you for a long time without having to give away equity? Yeah. Like giving equity should be, are they really putting in a lot of capital? Do you need the money, right? Do you need the capital? Do you need the money to start? I've never needed the money to start. I, you know, was able to invest, you know, between personally and taking out loans. It was like $300,000 for me to start Optima in like a 90 day period, like buying laptops and getting a furniture and getting us office space and getting QuickBooks logins and business insurance and, you know, cloud servers and timekeeping and payroll. And, you know, you don't just get 40 employees in 90 days and expect not to spend money. So I didn't need the capital. I was able to take on debt mm -hmm. and my own equity, use my own funds. So unless I was desperate enough to need money, then I would consider an equity partner. Or is somebody a unicorn? Are they somebody that you're, they're so irreplaceable that you're never going to find that type of person ever, ever again. And if you don't give them equity, you're going to lose them. And I have not found myself in that situation right now. I've got an amazing team and I'm going to incentivize them, but you give away equity for really strategic reasons and people just give it away too, too freely without really thinking of worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, and I can say that I've been through worst case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's really important. I mean, in your in your um, professional background, you say that you one thing that motivates you is you love to incentivize or give back to superstar employees. So what I'm hearing you say is you know ways of motivating people beyond 
equity share, and you mentioned some deferred compensation, some profit share. How are some other ways maybe beyond your management team that you um, reward superstars? Well, I think I don't hire anybody but superstars. So how, <laughs> how, how do I award my entire team? It's yeah. probably more of a question. We're really cautious on who we hire. Um, we do an IQ test. We do a verbal and written essay. We do an accounting exam or an HR exam. Uh, then they have a personality assessment, behavioral, cultural, who are you with me. Personally, I ask questions. I don't hire anybody until they've met with me and we've gone through that exercise. And so I try to do the best I can to hire every single person should be somewhat of a superstar. Uh, and sure, a few every once in a while fall between the cracks. And you know what you see is really not how they end up performing. But you do as much legwork uh, leg as possible up front. And so when you hire the right people who really care and they, then they believe in your mission, then you're already set up for success. And then it's like, how do you actually treat those people? So for, for me, you know, there's a variety of ways, but number one, people love the flexibility. They love the independence. They don't have to physically be anywhere from eight to 6 PM every single day. They make their own schedules. They figure out what works for them. And if they only want to work 20 hours in a week, then we're going to put them on a compensation plan that makes sense for 20 hours a week of an employee. Um, if they want to work 32, well, maybe they're on our salary plan and they get a percentage of a split of everything they're billing and all these other compensation um, techniques and whatnot. So, you know, treat them well, pay them well. We've also got this thing called Bonusly. And Bonusly is great. It's really interactive. Our employees love it. They basically can uh, bonus each other out. Every single employee at the entire company gets 150 points a month and they give them away in increments of 50 and they give them away to their coworkers for going above and beyond or for, you know, just extra support or being a good person or there's all these hashtags that it's based on. So they love it. It really helps. It's not cheap. It costs me thousands of dollars a month, but the cost of not motivating your employees is a lot more. Um, and then we're pretty competitive on our health, dental, vision. We have a 401k match. We even give life insurance to every single employee. We have uh, three weeks plus of uh, paid time off. Another week of sick pay. You know, we what is a benefit? If we don't offer it, then there might be a really serious reason as to why. But we pretty much offer every single benefit you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you know, all of that you just rolled out and just talking about treating people well and incentivizing them with a lot of different incentives is part of knowing your people. And so when you're heavily involved in the hiring process and like you said, you're hiring superstars, you're cautious about who you hire, you get to know these people and you get to know what's important to them. And you reminded me that you referred us to XQ Innovation. Oh, mm -hmm. And so we work with them now, Laurel and I do, and we've done the assessments and we have had them on the podcast and they're on our advisory board because same thing, they're like great people. And when you take their assessments, you just understand how to work with people so much better. And yep. so that's been immensely helpful. So thank you for that referral. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to them this morning. Oh, Right. Yeah. We we're we're going to have them back on soon. Actually, we've been thinking about it after like the pandemic and, you know, the current racial tensions and everything is just like, oh, we need them like Joe's like 
patient, like study guidance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they're great. We brought them in in uh, February. Hmm. So I hired them with Optima again. I, I've been working with them for years. But what I really wanted to do was make sure that before we go too far into being a company and as a new management team together, let's build a really solid foundation where everybody feels that they can communicate with one another. They know how each other interact. They know our disc scores uh, and whatnot. So we did a really fun team building exercise. It was all day into February. And then the pandemic hit and we didn't get to do any of the follow-up work. We didn't get to do any of the exercises. We didn't get to do much of anything. Everyone had their hair on fire for, you know, 60 days. And it was just like constant blocking and tackling. You know, you never know what was going to get thrown at you or what stat or what data or what, you know, this and that every single day. So we kind of put it all on hold. And we've seen a little bit of pain because of that, uh, quite frankly. We got a little more disconnected as a management team where, you know, we don't see each other every single day or at least once a week. And you aren't able to... Um, you know, engage and interact and commute, you know, it's just different and zoom calls are great, but they're not in person. And so, you know, we didn't keep up with all the work and now we're like, okay, stop. We're going to now revisit all this. Let's have one-on-one -on -one training and individual sessions. Let's do more EQ. Let's really look at how every person on my management team interacts and make sure that we are such a solid foundation going into the next six months and the next six years that we're, we're solid. Mm -hmm. I think it's, that is a really crucial point. Jess and I have learned that culture is the most important thing you can do to have a long lasting, sustainable, resilient business of people that care about each other and enjoy their work. And it's crucial. Your point is your management team needs to be on the same page and yeah figure out how to work together. And it's even, I would say even more crucial at the very, very beginning to do these things. We have a, at a stellar we have a key stakeholder in our business that is only seven employees at the moment, but over the next 10 years, we anticipate having 2,500 employees and we're going to need to have like a C-suite of 120 people or more in different areas. And it is I have preferred XQ innovation for this exact reason. Before you grow and scale, learn about each other's strengths and weaknesses, what motivates you, what drives you, characteristics, how to communicate, how not to communicate, and what each person needs and what their differences are so you can learn to appreciate them and appreciate yourself. And that self-awareness sets up your culture, your mission, vision, values, how do you operate, what's the filter for your decision-making, and everything moving forward. So I, I would say for businesses – that don't have your culture written down, set up, that haven't done some EQ work or some business intelligent work, you need to kind of stop what you're doing and figure out when you're going to do that and prioritize it. Yep. And kind of on that, you know, you have this all set up with Optima and you've like grown this over the years, but clearly like this has been, this has been something that started early in your career. And, you know, I think that, I think the title of the podcast is how do you develop long lasting relationships? And so can you kind of give us some things that you started earlier in your career? Because you've had clients and employees follow you, Jennifer Barnes, and not necessarily the company that it was under. And so how, what was your focus and how did you build those and have you, I mean, it sounds like we heard about how you've been maintaining them, but any additional things you have to add to that? 
Yeah, I've always been the the glue that kind of keeps my group of friends together in various stages of my life, whether that was in high school or college or now as a group of girlfriends and stuff. You know, I'm the introducer. I like to connect other people. I'm really into connections. I'm really good into helping others. But that's just more of who I am. And I think that's been a huge strength in business is that my ability to connect and refer other people and I genuinely want to and I'm not looking for anything in return. It's kind of a servant leadership mentality where it's like, let's take care of the other people, let's refer them and connect them. And nothing ever needs to come back to me. I don't really care. I'm doing I I find joy in connecting others. I set up two good friends together and they just moved in together right before the pandemic. They're about to hit their one year anniversary. They're probably going to end up getting married. And they're like, I forced, I literally forced them together. I'm like, you two are coming to my thing, like my birthday thing last July. You're getting on this boat. You're meeting each other. And they both resisted. They both didn't want to. And I'm like, no, you're doing it. I, I don't care. Like you're meeting each other. You're perfect together. And they moved in like six months later. So, um, <laughs> Sometimes I'm have to be a little bit forceful, and I'm like, no, you guys have to meet. Um, but but I think the overall arching uh, part of my personality is that people need to trust you. People need to know that you're looking out for their best interest. They need to feel stability, and they, they need to know that you're not going to steer them wrong, and that you're you know you're solid and you really really care. And so if people didn't trust me, if people didn't. Uh, you know, have the confidence in me that I was going to be able to build something, that I was going to take care of them, then they wouldn't have come with me, right? So I've now had people follow me twice. I hope that there's, it's never again. I hope they just continue staying with Optima and we continue building Optima and I never have to be in that kind of situation again. We will have to make a decision um, because that's hard. That's hard on employees, you know, they should never have had to choose, you know, and, and they did. And unfortunately, many of them, you know, chose to continue working with me. But I think I proved that the first time around, I was able to build a company pretty quickly. And I, you know, being able to bring in business is not very difficult for me. Um, only because I really understand accounting. I know how to help others. How do you manage your inventory well? How do you look at your cost of goods? How do you look at your margin analysis? How, how do you, you know, how do we make sure you're profitable? You know, I can speak the language accounting. And I can give people confidence that we know what we're talking about and we're going to be able to help them. And so that's hard for a lot of salespeople to do. Selling accounting when you're not an accountant <laughs> really a little more of a challenge. And so that's been a really um, huge benefit for me is I'm a total accounting, total number nerd, but I'm also able to relate with others and connect them and help them and get them to understand. And they trust me and they know, you know, I'm going to take care of them. So yeah. I'm a, a unicorn in that sense that I, I'm an accountant that can sell. <laughs> Bring my, I have no salespeople. Never well, you're not really selling because it's just, it is what it is. It's like you've aligned your personality with your business purpose. And so when you talk about what your business can do in the servant leadership role and you genuinely want to help people, you're not selling really anything. I think that's something that we talk about with, people we've worked with in the past, because when they hear the word sales, which obviously as a business owner, you need sales because you need revenue. <laughs> people want to get paid. And, but when people who aren't like, for example, an accountant who's not traditionally a salesperson, if you tell them they need to sell, they like buckle up and are like, I, oh, I don't do that. They picture cold calling, like dialing numbers. But if you have an accountant who's at a networking happy hour, just like, 
talking, making friends. It's like, and someone's like, what do you do? Oh, I actually work for Optima Office. We provide, you know, accounting services, all sorts of accounting services. And then someone's like, oh, I actually know someone who needs it. And you just, just having that conversation and coming from a place of authenticity and like that genuine will, like interest in developing a relationship other than just like seeing people's like sales quota, sales quota, sales quota. <laughs> it's like people can tell. Yeah. People don't like to be sold to. They want to have you really understand their issues and how you can help them, not automatically jumping to, oh, well, we offer this. Nobody cares what you offer. It's not if it's not going to help them. So how, yeah. do you, how do you understand and listen to their needs and then develop a solution that's going to be very unique to them? Um, because not one size fits all. I know a lot of companies in my space think that's like, oh, you're both a retail business. You have inventory. You sell online and wholesale and you've got this or that. Well, every company is different. You might have two retail companies that are same in revenue and same number of employees, but the culture is different. The management team is different. The style of leadership is different. The reporting is different. What do you like to see? What do you not like to see? What have your experiences been? What are your pain points? You kind of ask those questions before you can start solving the problem. Because they don't all, I mean, not everybody has the same problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, Great consulting. Like, <laughs> I mean, we've worked with in the past one of these, like a different like outsourced consulting firm for accounting. And it was like, this is the way we do it. This is the way you're going to do it. Yeah. It's like, no, we don't need all this. We, we don't want to do it that way. And it was like no dialogue. And it's just like forced upon you. And it, I mean, going back to what you're saying, like it sets up for a tenuous relationship from the start. Yeah. I have like a, a story that I just ran into recently where it was like, we have an option to either go into this situation arguing about something or like w willing our way upon this other group, or do you want to go into an agreement and just say, I agree that all these things exist and are true. And I'm here to listen to you and tell me, tell me all the things and then we'll figure it out together. It's a much better. And it's more, honestly, it's more in alignment with what people are like on the inside. People just want to share and hear and like figure it out. They don't want to be alone in whatever pain point that they're in. And so I would recommend to entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, people listening to this, take the time to zip it and listen a little bit. <laughs> so Easier said than done. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, so let me do all the things I know right now. <laughs> you know what really helps uh, when you're when you're building relationships with a new customer and you're trying to understand what their needs are. Mm -hmm. You have to ask the same questions and have a template for every single customer. They might have completely different needs. The solution is going to be, could be a 180 from the person you just talked to, but having a really defined template that you're going off of. So I usually fill out 40 of these a quarter. Um, it is... I don't know if you could see, it says it's a client acceptance form. Mm. And there's the typical questions, you know, what, are the, what does the client do? What industry are they in? Contact information. But then I go into how many employees you have. What's your annual revenue? What is your growth plans? Do you, how much revenue do you want to have in the next couple of years? Who's doing your books now? Who's doing your HR now? We do HR too, right? We have seven HR people on our team. So we do a lot of HR. I just don't, I haven't broadcasted as much as I, as I probably should have. Um, and I will, though, uh, going forward with our new tagline of the optimal accounting and HR team. Yeah. Um, Love it. But it's, 
what does your current situation look like? What are you doing now? What are the issues? What are your biggest pain points? Um, are you in an executive group? What kind of an accounting software do you use? What other softwares do you use? Do you have any syncing data that needs to get input? Who's your payroll company? Are you going to buy or sell? Do you have a good law firm? Who's doing your IT? Who do you bank with? What are your needs? What are your goals? So I make sure that I fill this out for every single person. And not every single blank needs to be filled out, but pretty much. I mean, I do this 98% of the time. Every single customer that comes into Optima where this form is filled out. So we know we can communicate this down to the team. That's really important. That validates our process too. Jessa and I do that when we bring in clients. We have like an introductory questionnaire. Mm -hmm. It's like two questions. Yeah, but great. But it's well, great. Know, time. At what stage do you use that? Do you use that once they're signed on to be a client or do you use that in like kind of the discussions prior to any like contract or engagement? So this form is going to take me in a conversation anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour of me personally talking to every new client on the phone. Wow. I literally talked. I, I don't need anybody else to do that right now. Um, my two kind of right-hand guys, they can, they can do it as well. But, um, and you know, it's more about interacting and understanding what that company needs, their personality, their culture, what kind of people are going to work better with them, what kind of people aren't going to work well with them, what if their experience has been in the past, what do I want them to be in the future, um, what do they want. Um, so I fill this out for every single every single client. And what we do is I fill this out. It's a process, right? You have to have processes. So I fill this out. It instantly gets scanned to my assistant. She creates an engagement letter. She emails it out to the team that I've selected to work on the client. So on the back of the form is more of a, um, who's, who's the team, right? I'm doing it backwards, but uh, level of staff, you know, CFO, controller, HR, all these things. I put a name in there. I put all the information in. My assistant takes it. She uploads it into our database. She makes sure the engagement letter is signed. We get a deposit. We get an ACH on file. I get the team and have all the notes that I've taken. I have a conversation with the team, kickoff meeting, and we could start the next day. Yeah. So nine times out of 10, when I fill this out, I've got about an 80% close rate for the most part. That any Anytime a client comes through our doors, we fill this out. Most of the time, we're gonna they're going to end up becoming a client. And so now then it's about communication. Process and communication. How do they run through your process and get communicated to is is all across the board from my employees to theirs to my my internal team everybody on the same page let's kick this off and then i don't manage it from there um i trust all my controllers cfos and in some cases a senior accounting manager to run every single engagement they know that there's a ton of resources that they have up and about around and below them and they come to me if they need additional support additional resources uh, something's not working um, they need to have a change somehow, or maybe the company thought that their books were perfect. I quoted them. Oh, this is going to be two grand a month. This is super easy. And then we get in there and it's like, oh my God, this is a disaster. There's no way we can do this. I mean, it's going to cost us $12,000 to get your books up to date because nothing's right. Your balance sheet dropped by a million dollars. Like this is, this is a disaster. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's better just to look under the hood a little more before you quote anything. 
throw out numbers until I look under the hood. Well, it's, you, you said you have about an 80% close rate. Is that 20%, do you ever use that questionnaire to politely decline to work with a client? Like, is it a good filter to help you decide who you don't want to let into the Optima culture? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that way because you, you need to have those conversations, not just so that you can secure a sale or acquire another customer. It's so that you feel comfortable because this is going to be a long-term relationship and you want it to align with your values and you want it to be an enjoyable experience on both accounts instead of, you know, maybe just responding or reacting or acting on desperation. And I find it, I find it, um, perhaps your process where it's like the head boss is the first person to talk to the client and fill out this form. It could go south from there for some businesses. If you're not totally in alignment with your, your staff and your managers, maybe what you think is really great. Your staff are like, I don't want to, this is terrible. I don't want to do this, but the boss said so now I'm stuck and I'm doing this, but it seems like you, you, invested your time in setting up your culture. So like if you vetted somebody, you know that everyone's going to like enjoy this experience. Most of the time. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think it's important. I mean, I think that's the staff, like you put people first, you put your staff first, like you said, like you treat them well, like everything else is going to go well. And part of that trust is trusting you to bring in the right clients yeah. for them to support. And yeah, I think that's really important. And I just want to say also thank you for sharing all that too, your processes. I I think traditionally business culture has been more like hold your cards close. And Laurel and I uh, come from a place of transparency, so we appreciate that. And it goes back to people buying you. Like anyone can take your process and replicate it, but you aren't leading it. So it's not going to be the same. So thanks for being open about that. Yeah, and we do have bad we do have bad clients that fall through the cracks. You know, they're, I try to, if it's too small or I know we can't really help them, I know they're super cost conscious that if we give them a $400 invoice, they're going to scrutinize every single penny. I, I can't work with people like that. That's just not our, that's not going to work. We can't do anything for 400 bucks a month other than maybe, you know, six hours, eight hours of bookkeeping and then there's no oversight. And so that's not going to do anybody any good. Um, go hire a bookkeeping firm for that. Um, so I do have a number of bookkeeping firms that uh, we can refer business to. If it's too small for us, I don't want to take on clients that we really can't um, provide value. At the end of the day, I want really long-term relationships. I want people to walk away and they're so happy that they hired Optima that they have they never have to look anywhere else and they're just happy. Um, but sometimes, you know, clients will say, "Oh no, you know, everything's fine. We're we're our books are clean. We're this. We're that. Yeah, you know, a few thousand dollars a month is fine." And then we realize that, oh god, this we this is going to take a lot of effort. And then some business owners are just mean. They're like, not nice. They're just my staff is like, God, oh, they're so hard to work with. I never feel like I'm appreciated. I feel like they're always harping on me. There's we're never good enough. And all the employees, they have a fifty percent turnover, and they're always losing people, and they're always having issues and they they're they're super sporadic and they're all over the place and they don't make any you know they're just bad business owners and so if my team comes to me and says that which i've been doing this eight years now i can assure you it's happened a lot uh, you know at least a dozen times i will have a conversation with the business owner myself i'm like hey listen you're mean to my people like they don't 
you need to change your behavior because we're not going to work with jerks. Like you need to be nice. And this is how you should treat people. And I might recommend them go to a Vistage coach or join EO and get in a forum or, you know, hire Joe Phillips with the best CEO group. He's awesome. You know, like, or hire Joan, uh, you know, Joan Cyrus, like find somebody to coach you because you're a jerk. Like you need to fix yourself. Like you can't, you should barely be running a business. Like you are not nice. Um, and, and so 50% of the time when I have that conversation, they, it's like an eye-opening experience. They had no idea that they were a jerk. They're like, oh my God, I'm just so busy. I'm running so fast. I had no idea people thought of me like that. I'm so sorry. And then they're like super nice all of a sudden to our staff. And then it was like, now they're nice to everybody. And they're like, who the heck did you talk to? Like, you just changed overnight. And like, oh, Jennifer just like, what was, what was up, you know? Um, and the other half of the time, they are pissed. I'm a jerk. How dare you? I'm the client. You should never tell me that. I you know, I know enough. And then they fire us and we don't work together anymore and I lose a client, but I stood up for my staff and my team has seen me do that numerous times where they're like, I can't believe that you gave away all that revenue on a recurring revenue client because they were mean to us and you had our back. And so that's part of relationships and retention is that my team knows that anytime somebody's mean to them or they're not feeling respected or they're in a hostile environment, all they have to do is tell me and I will fix it. And I will either remove them or I'll remove the client. That's wonderful. Best place to work. Yeah. (laughs) Don't be a jerk. I love it. There's, it reminds me, there's this episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David, they tell him, they're like, you need to tell her that she has something in her teeth or you need to tell this person that they smack when they chew and they call him the social assassin. Cause like, he's like, okay, I'll tell him, I don't care. And like, that's what that's it reminds me of. You're like, I'll pick up the phone, whatever, I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I wanna be respectful of your time, uh, Jennifer, so you get a chance to eat lunch. And um, so, and one question before you wrap up, that I think is really important, is that you are very philanthropic and very involved with the community. Um, and the community, of course, is a stakeholder for your business. And so is there a few things that you could highlight that you're involved with? Um, and then we could wrap up, I think, yeah. so you can get going. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know you mentioned Junior Achievement. I'm, I was on their Young Executives Board. Now I'm on their main board which is something I had wanted to do for years. And so I feel honored that I'm finally on that junior achievement uh, main board, which is cool. And then I'm on the Better Business Bureau. I'm uh, the treasurer of, of their board, of the foundation. And then I'm a part of, uh, I'm a partner for Social Venture Partners, and they help a whole wide range of not-for-profits in a variety of areas, uh, from operations to marketing, to HR, to finance, to fundraising, to anything that they need to operate. And they pick a couple of um, selected nonprofits a year that go through a big vetting process. And, and so I'm part of that. I'm uh, about to join Tech Coast Angels. I am very um, into investing. And now that I am, have the means to invest in, in other companies, um, I want to do that. And then I'm pretty involved with San Diego State. I do a lot with their Lavin program. And I mentor... Uh, I'm on my second uh, college girl right now that I'm mentoring. And then uh, Tanya Hertz is a professor at San Diego State and um, uh, Miramar College or Miracosta. I think I'm, I might be getting that wrong, but she, uh, Miramar College, um, she is awesome. And I speak at her classes and I'm mentoring one of her students right now. And so I try not to take on too much. Um, <laughs> I'm, also okay. on a publicly, I'm on a publicly traded board now, which is that one's great because I'm actually getting paid for it. So. Okay. Aren't uh, aren't paid positions, 
So I decided when I'm like 60, you know, 20 years from now, I'm just going to make a career of being on like five to 10, you know, publicly traded boards, make like a million dollars a year. I'd be great. <laughs> Love it. That's oh, great. Well, we're out there in the universe now. It's going to happen. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, Laurel, sorry. Did you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? <laughs> nope. So as you can tell, Jennifer doesn't have a lot of uh, free time. So thank you so much for taking time today to speak with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And, yeah, so wrap up with our three-point landing. So that's three key takeaways um, from what we discussed uh, to kind of button it up for everybody. Yeah, number one, be kind. Be a good person. Be nice. Like, take care of others. It'll, it, it's worth it. <laughs> you should do it. Um, number two, I think communication is so important. You know, responsiveness, communicate, and... Communicate clearly, communicate efficiently, and just make sure people are on the same page and they understand what your expectations are. And number three, most important lesson I've learned, be careful with equity and partners and don't take partnerships for granted and think that everything's going to be all rosy and great. Could be. Many are, but many aren't. <laughs> and so when you enter into a new partnership, really be careful about how you divvy up the equity and, you know, be super conscious about your management team and select the right people for the bus. That's probably like 10 lessons, but I, I think I did it in three bullet points. You did. It's be kind, communicate clearly, be careful with equity and partnerships. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. So grateful for you. All right. Send okay. it to See you soon. Thanks for listening and visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.